0: but okay mm-hmm. sometimes being very tired lets me drop my inhibitions and gets that good weirdness out into the podcasting ah uh, yes that good chris weirdness it's my entire brand it's the tank that's the dankness <laughs> it's, that's the um. tankness <laughs> mm-hmm. Everybody and welcome to Backstage Gaming, dramatic takes on your favorite games. I'm Chris and I'm Dylan. And we're here to actually record a real episode. Thank you for staying with us last week as all we had to put up with our, was uh was our live show, but I hope you enjoyed it. We god knows we had a really fun time doing that whole live show thing. Thanks to any of you who are listening who also happened to be at Beat Kitchen on the 16th cuz we had a great time.
1: It was really cool meeting a lot of people there.
0: Yeah. Uh it was The fucking coolest. But enough of living in the past. Let's wade violently into the future. Uh, It's episode 20. We are doing another instance of our writer's room concept. uh, Made famous, maybe, by the one time we did it in episode 10. Where we took an old game that didn't really have much of a story to go off of. uh, In that case, the original Metroid. And then we sort of brought in some elements of uh, Super Metroid. (laughs) Yeah, you know, famous to... The three people that listen to our show. Um, Uh, Of course, naturally. Yeah. (laughs) We're famous, trust me. (laughs) Uh, um, But we're going to take a game and talk about how to make it into not a game. Uh, This time Dylan's going to be taking the reins. We're going to be talking about a game that is part of one of his favorite series. But Before we get to that, I had a dark realization today. Right. I was at my store that I work at in order to have a house and food and i became aware that at my store we sell individual rolls of toilet paper okay and more than that i became aware of this because several people came through my line each buying one singular roll of toilet paper okay and maybe this is just me but that speaks to me to a a level of malicious energy that i was not prepared for.
1: Chris, i feel like, you know, i'm i'm usually the one who reads too deep into things.
0: <laughs> Hear me out. So,
1: okay, i i shall.
0: Is there anything on this earth more stressful than the realization that you are on your last roll of toilet paper?
1: Yes. Uh, okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like that is Obviously, there are things in the world far worse than that, but, like, as far as mundane catastrophes go, if I wake up in the morning and I have to leave my house and it's like, well, I cracked into the last roll of my my bathroom friend, that's all I'm gonna be thinking about for the rest of the day.
1: I, too, like to live dangerously.
0: The fact that there are people (laughs) who will have that moment, that moment of existential fear as their day begins, where they know that they are one roll away from the abyss. <laughs> and their solution to this is not to rush into the cushiony embrace of the safety of an 18-pack of toilet paper. 18? But instead, they... <laughs> what?
1: I like. I feel like 8 is what... Maybe it's because uh, in our... Some of us place, like to feel
0: secure in our futures, Dylan. No,
1: what, what I was going to say was maybe it's because in our previous place we didn't have that much room to store... That amount of toilet paper so like you know the eight pack sufficed
0: I guess that's fair
1: um but no no it like if you have the room for an 18 yeah cents, like the, I, I get it
0: the fact that there is a man out there in the world who knows that he is on his last roll of toilet paper and goes to the home goods section of the store and sees the 24 pack beckoning him <laughs> into this like month of security and says no I'll take one. I want to be in this position 2 days from now.
1: That's the real survival
0: horror. Like that's that's <laughs> what I'm getting at. Like I don't know, maybe I'm just not on the right level, maybe I'm maybe I'm living too safe, maybe I'm not being spartan enough with myself. <laughs> But I I witnessed this, and I just had someone of like, who are you, and how did you gain this strength?
1: Now, now, Chris, is can this, you, can you learn? Is, can, are these single roll toilet papers? Is it Charmin Ultra?
0: No, because it's, what
1: you think is enough might be too much, <laughs> and you can, you can. I I pay me Charmin for me to do the rest <laughs> of this bit.
0: <laughs> but like, you're a Sith. You're a Sith Lord if you go out and buy a single <laughs> roll of toilet paper. Especially when that single roll of toilet paper costs three goddamn dollars. Oh, <laughs> oh my god. Like, you're a capitalist Sith. Anyway, okay. that's Chris's so, toilet talk uh, for the week.
1: I'm gonna, I'm gonna say this real quick and then we will drop all mention of toilet paper. Okay, probably not, good. Who knows? All I'm going to say is that driving six hours and going to multiple rest stops... From Chicago to Cleveland. One of the things I was thinking recently was, man, maybe when I go on these trips, maybe I should just keep a roll of decent quality <laughs> toilet paper on me. <laughs> because okay. let me tell you, Chris, there is no fresher hell
0: okay, than
1: the single ply.
0: <laughs> I Okay, here's here's paper. the issue. I agree with you. Okay. I'm with you. Okay. But imagine... <laughs> The single dad from Wisconsin driving cross country with his kids to go to Sleeping Bear Dunes in Michigan, and they get out. In
1: that case, you would get a multi. No, 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 no. no. I'm that's not what I'm
0: saying. I'm saying that you're Gerald Beesmith, single dad from Wisconsin. Oh, we've been in the car for a long time, kids. Don't worry, I know you're antsy. Let's just pull off at this rest stop. Oh, look, there's probably not going to be much of a line at the bathroom. There's only one one other car, and who's that getting out of it? Oh, why, it's a strappy young man, and he brought his own toilet paper. Kids, next rest stop. We're not getting out at the same rest stop as this sex pervert. Oh, it's not pervert. that
1: bad. It's... Why? Why?
0: <laughs> I, there's something, again, I want to say I agree with your impulse because it's true. There is no there is no greater horror than reaching for toilet paper and being like, ah, it's made of what appears it, to be powdered milk paper. held together by <laughs> dreams. But also, if someone else sees you get out, like, okay, there are two possibilities of what people are going to see. They're either going to see you get out of the car with your partially used toilet friend which is bad.
1: Okay, okay. So you or they're gonna see gonna you stop. leave
0: the restroom with a partially used roll of toilet paper, which is worse. <laughs> All
1: like, right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start. I'm gonna, I'm gonna shake up the formula real quick. Okay. Uh, thank you for listening to Backstage Gaming. If you like <laughs> us, you can talk to us on social media. Use the hashtag BSGPod so that you can tell Chris that bringing your own toilet paper is a perfectly reasonable thing. <laughs>
0: Oh my god, like, as if you couldn't tell by by now, we're a gaming podcast. Um,
1: Yeah, I was about to say that too!
0: (laughs) We talk about games and game narratives and how games tell stories and how games connect with their audiences because we're theater makers and that's what we do. Let's get back to our actual topic and stop being freaks about toilet paper. This conversation
1: Um, isn't over. We're gonna, we're gonna resume this after the episode. Yeah, everyone,
0: uh, everyone, uh, tweet at T-H-A underscore D-I-L-A, the Dilla, and let him know what kind of freaky sex pervert you would think he was if you saw him wandering around in public with his special toilet friend.
1: (laughs) Well, when you put it like that. (laughs) I love you. Uh, I'm not sure you do. (laughs) I love
0: you, I'm just trying to save you from this unconscionable course of action. The road to hell is paved with soft butt fabric.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Is that the name of this episode? Please tell me (laughs) that's the name of this episode.
0: It's definitely going to make it into the also included list. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) welcome back to the writer's room. This is a bit that we did for episode 10 and it seems like we're just going to keep doing it every 10th episode where we take a game that we like or a game that we think is interesting and try to figure out our way of translating it into a different medium. Maybe it'll be a stage show. Maybe it'll be a film. Maybe it'll be you know something else. Something that we have a little bit more actual expertise in than game design because we don't really have any other than playing a lot of games. We uh, just
1: like them. We just think we're they're neat. Yeah,
0: we, <laughs> neato. Uh, neato. Dylan, what game are we talking about this week?
1: All uh, right, gonna jump right to it because we talked for eight minutes about toilet paper (laughs) and it's the best Uh,
0: eight minutes of this podcast yet
1: (laughs) it's true um we we are talking about resident evil which resident evil dylan resident evil as a concept
0: but 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 dylan and chris don't you know there's a lot of resident evil movies directed by that guy whose name i forget
1: paul ws paul ws anderson yes you're right rando yep they exist and more importantly, we're going to talk about how I would do a Resident yeah. Evil
0: movie. <laughs> so, the issue is, and we're, we'll we'll go much more into detail. But to address that elephant in the room right away, the Resident Evil games, at least at the very least, Resident Evil One and Two, and then with Resident Evil Six, we, no Seven, Six was not a return to form. Uh, no. <laughs> Resident Evil <laughs> One and Two, not. and most recently Resident Evil Seven are great examples of very traditional horror. And there are a lot of things you, you that... You might even want to say, most recently, the remake of Resident Evil 2. There you go. We're still slightly topical. Uh, <laughs> the, those games are horror games through and through. We've talked a little bit about elements of this in the past, but there's a lot of the actual design of those games. Things like limited ammunition, and blind corners, and... Like, there's a lot built into the meat of play that makes them very frightening to play, not just in, like, a jump scare kind of way. The Resident Evil movies are much more akin to, say, the games Resident Evil 5 and 6, which are less horror and more run-around shooty games that happen to have you shooting zombies. (laughs) Is that a fair sort of that break is, down.
1: I, I could be a stickler and be like, well, in four and five, they're not actually zombies, but, you know, you, you basically... Shut
0: up, toilet pervert. I'll probably cut that part because that was just mean and I don't want people to think I actually hate my sweet friend. Uh. <laughs> or you can just keep that back yeah. down. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, the existing Resident Evil movies are, shall we say, they have received mixed reviews. Uh.
1: They are very pulpy. Let's yes. go with that.
0: Uh, And they are much more concerned with fast-paced action set pieces and some gross-out moments than they are with, like, dread or suspense or horror. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So we're going to be, you know, that's the the divide, and so we're going to try to be looking at how you would do... A Resident Evil film or play that really feeds off of that sense of fear and dread and suspense that you get in Resident Evil 1, Resident Evil 2. And to sort of dive into that, Dylan, why don't you tell us a little bit, in case people haven't listened to the episodes where we've talked about this before, what do the Resident Evil games do well to tap into horror and to make you as the player feel fear?
1: Okay, so to focus on what people commonly cite as, uh, Resident Evil's greatest strengths, um, there is a feeling of vulnerability that you wouldn't get from most games, uh, especially, like, when the first Resident Evil game came out, I, there are a lot of accounts of people who, you know, pick the game because it has, like, a very stereotypically macho soldier-type looking dude on the cover, and, you know, then they play the game and they're like, oh, I don't have a gun. Cause I think when you pick the the macho soldier guy, you actually start with only a knife, and you have to find a gun. Essentially what I'm getting at is that the Resident Evil games are very good at making you feel vulnerable. You're not just shooting your way through wave of wave of zombies. There are actually surprisingly few numbers of zombies in the game, but the trade-off is there's also a surprisingly limited pool of ammo in the game. Um, all of the there there are no like respawns or random drops or anything, all the ammo you find in the game is finite. And so it is possible for you to use more ammo than kill zombies, than zombies that you drop. The balance of the game is like kind of making your way through a really a fun house of puzzles while trying to either avoid zombies or kill the ones that you only really need to kill so you can get through the rest of the game
0: the fact that you've got on a global scale limited resources with which to complete the challenges the game presents to you creates this great sense of like impend like every moment and every bullet you fire like matters and kind of hurts to use one of the other things that Uh, The early Resident Evil games do that is so, 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 so cool that I wish more games nowadays did, and I understand why they don't. But, like, boy howdy, it's an example of hardware limitations being a rad thing. Resident Evil 1 and 2 are all fixed camera angle games. What do I mean Uh, by that?
1: 1, 2, 3, and a game for the Dreamcast. Yeah. And Zero. And the remake of one. <laughs> thank you. I'm sorry. Thank you, Billy. No, thank <laughs> <Love> you. you. <laughs>
0: like you, you know more about this series than I do. I, I know what I know from ha- watching you play and from playing a little bit of one and two, like way back in the day. That's fair. um Let me let me rewind a little bit. Back when 3D gaming was like first becoming a thing. For one thing, hardware limitations were much more real. So rather than fully like 3D modeling everything in the game. A common workaround that you see in a lot of early adventure games, you see it in a lot of the early 3D Final Fantasies, and you see it in Resident Evil 1 and 2, is they would create a, basically like a matte painted background. Kind of yeah. like you what you would see in like a Hanna-Barbera cartoon, where the background doesn't move, so they're able to do one painting and then do the hand animation on top of that. In games, you'd have one matte background, and like, maybe the camera can pan up and down or left and right to see more of that matte background, but it is... A static background that then you'd only have to render 3D models walking on top of. Yeah. The Resident Evil games use this so well... Because frequently the camera that they will place to shoot... Is positioned in such that like... You can't see around a corner until you make that corner. Or there will be some... Like the cameras are frequently positioned in these rooms such that there is information... That you do not have about what is happening in the full scope of the room. And because the camera is fixed... You can't get that information until the game, until like you move to the position where the game allows you to, and that is so good and so smart. Um, <laughs> full disclosure here: I, Chris Wilson, am a coward. I love horror as a genre. I love thinking about it. I love the way that I fr- frequently put it is: I love having watched horror movies. I love being able to talk about horror movies from the position of having seen them at one point in the past. <laughs> I hate sitting through horror movies because they make me very uncomfortable and frightened. That's, um, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> but at their best moments, those like camera position things in Resident Evil are similar to the kind of cinematography that you see in really good and effective horror. I'm thinking specifically of uh, the Babadook, which came out in 2016, 15. I think 15. I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I was too scared to watch it. <laughs> it's so good. It's one of I the know best horror is. movies of the last decade. It I... hurt me to watch. I spent most of the movie in, like, a full body <laughs> clench with one hand, like, a hand over one eye. Uh, <laughs> but it's so good, and there's so many shots in that movie where you can either, like see way more like they'll position the camera such that like you see the character that this shot is of in the foreground but then also over their shoulder you can see like all the way down the hallway behind them oh, I hate that. and so like even if nothing happens there you can see it and because of the kind of movie it is you think that something's gonna happen back there yeah or they'll position it such that like the audio cue is making you know that something is in the room, but because of the way the shot is positioned, you can't see what that might be. And it's Resident like,
1: Evil does that really yeah, well.
0: Resident Evil, <laughs> I, that's what I kind of wanted to loop back to with this, is sound design is another area that the Resident Evil games do. They use the, that fact that they are constraining what you can see to add in sound effects that hint at what you might not be seeing. It's so good. Uh, there is a moment in... Resident Evil 1, most specifically in the remake, because I don't remember if it was in the first one, or in, like, the actual original, where, like I said, you know, there's that camera angle situation where you come into a hallway that, like, banks on a sharp right turn, and you can't see what's around the corner, but you can see that there is a window, and you can tell that because there is moonlight shining through the window and putting, like, you know, a nice clear square patch of light on the wall. And, like, the second time you enter that get that room, you hear... A rattling noise, and then when you come to that same screen again, you see that that rattling noise is because there is a the silhouette of a human figure, like tapping on the window, trying to get in, and it's a zombie, and it's the worst thing. It's so scary. <laughs> and then I'm pretty sure the next time you come back there, that zombie's gone, and the window is broken.
1: Yeah. And it's Either things the zombie's like zombie's gone and the window is broken, or you come back and the zombie does burst through yeah. the window.
0: And it's things like that. Coupled with the fact that you know there are a set number of zombies that are wandering the mansion. That like all build into this culmination of like not only is it being presented in a frightening way. But the actual mechanics of the game are reinforcing that fear of like you know that that zombie has to be somewhere now. Because that's the way the game works. It's so good. But we need to take this and translate it into something that you're not playing through as an active participant. But something that you are watching, or in my case, half-watching, while also gripping a stuffed animal and trying not to poo yourself.
1: Well, you know, if you had a personal roll of toilet paper. <laughs>
0: it's my personal pan potty. Oh, God. Uh, um. Anyway.
1: Um, yeah, so I guess there were. there's a couple ways my brain has been tackling this, and I guess to start with, We'll go with like the straightforward, obvious way. But there's actually an angle to this approach that like I thought of last week, and I'm really excited to talk about it. Right. But it's also really weird and out there. Good. Spring as far as the, spring video the game adaptations go, so let's start with the the standard movie approach. You could, you know, Resident Evil is heavily inspired by Ni- Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, the uh, George George R. Romero movies. And so you could you could really take that approach, but, like, also give it, like, the B-movie slant that, okay, Night of the Living Dead is a B-movie. Yes, but very much so, I like, was about to say. Like, I don't mean B-movie. I mean, like, kind of throw in that, like, hard-hitting Hollywood blockbuster, like Rambo or John McClane. Like, kind of have it, like, start off with the characters very vulnerable and ammo is scarce and there is a lot of traditional zombie horror in the films mm-hmm. and then by the when you get closer to the climax it kind of builds and swells and in my mind i have like almost this diehard type uh, approach where like john mcclain has two bullets left and uh hans gruber is at the top of nakitomi plaza and you know it it, it kind of just reaches that like peak of action yeah uh, because I think a huge thing that makes these Resident Evil games work is that you go from afraid and not really knowing what's going on and not understanding any of these zombies to as the player, you understand their behavior. they become something quantifiable that be- they become predictable. and you go from a, a state of feeling powerless to knowing how to navigate. Uh, these situations. Yeah.
0: You become competent, but you never feel invincible. because Because you know you have such scarce resources to work with, even though you know how to solve the puzzles, they still don't become trivial, which is a very cool sort of tightrope that the game walks. I I think that's interesting. I think it would be cool to see that level of, like, getting a character to that point of, like, I know what I have to do, now I just have to fucking do it. (laughs) Right. Um, I think it's
1: telling that in Resident Evil 2... There is an unlockable game mode after you beat the game called, uh... It's, it's something like Last... Okay, so there's Fourth Survivor. There are, like, two game modes. Basically, both of them, you are put in the middle of the mansion or the police station or whatever the location is. And your only option... Your only goal is, instead of doing puzzles and navigating the mansion, your only goal is to get to one room in a linear path. The only problem is... That in comparison to the original game, there are, the whole place is flooded with enemies.
0: Um,
1: Like way more than you've ever had to deal with in the story. Um, And so it's kind of the ultimate test of how well do you know these enemies? How well do you know yourself and your limitations? How well do you know the weapons? It's like the ultimate test of you as an expert, of you as an action hero, as opposed to you as someone who is vulnerable and has to think and plan out ahead that's very cool it, it's really cool i've never beaten any of those <laughs> <laughs> they're really tough but anyway yeah so that's that's kind of like the boring answer to what a resident evil movie should be i say boring but like honestly i feel like a lot of people would be satisfied with that um, all you really have to do is kind of keep it close to the plot, which is it starts out and you're in the spooky mansion. And then like, as you've learned more and more, you realize that scientists were behind it all along, <laughs> but I guess that's a good segue into what I would do with resident evil. I think a lot of people, not just us, including like journalists and fans a lot. When they talk about the horror of resident evil, they always talk about the mechanical horror aspect, the survival horror. Yeah which is what we just spent the last 10-15 uh, minutes doing, I want to kind of shake it up a bit. Okay, um, hit me. So, playing the Resident Evil remake and replaying Resident Evil 2, I kind of realized that there is also a narrative horror that doesn't really get talked about.
0: Tell me more, so in tell the me first more. game,
1: <laughs> So, in the first game, I think the most interesting thing about Resident Evil 1 is that when you start playing it, or at least the remake of Resident Evil 1, when you start playing it, you're not sure if the cause of these zombies are due to some weird freak science mishap like a frankenstein story or if it's a cult and that's because you are navigating this spooky mansion and there are all these puzzles you need to collect these masks to open a coffin uh it's it's very weird and when you are a fan of the series you're like "Uh, that's just how the games are structured and it's because they're hiding a giant umbrella ink laboratory underneath for people who've never played Resident Evil, Umbrella Inc. is the source behind these uh, zombies. They're a pharmaceutical company that is developing how to kind of reanimate the dead to create bioweapons that they can sell to the military. It's all very schlocky, but like also fun. Yeah. And so I think the the cool thing, the horror to me of Resident Evil, of its story, is that it, it kind of takes this corporation and turns it into a cult.
0: Okay, so it's almost like part of the horror is in not knowing what's happening, but then as you find the answers, it just becomes worse, is kind of what you're getting at?
1: Yes and no. <laughs> you're going to have to stick with me yeah, for no, a bit. I'm, Yeah, am
0: I'm, I'm, I'm following along.
1: Resident Evil 2, the horror of Resident Evil 2 is that... So Resident Evil 1 takes place in a mansion, which is a cover for experiments that Umbrella is doing. In Resident Evil Two, the entire city that Umbrella is focused in gets infected, Ooh. and this happens for a multitude of reasons. But the ultimate takeaway is that basically, somehow rats get infected with the virus, and the, they spread it.
0: Oh, so it's a bubonic plague. It's, side it's of a bubonic. It's
1: literally a bubonic, bubonic, blum, blum, bubonic blum, blum, plague. Blum. <laughs> it's a bubonic. <laughs> fuck. <laughs> what you said. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And so they they spread the virus, and everyone gets infected that way. But not only that, there is a side plot where, you know, after the events of the first game, the main characters from that game are trying to expose Umbrella, but because the... Umbrella's basically paid off the government. They have the police chief in their wallet, and they frequently go back and forth to the police station to deal with them through the sewers, so they have people who work for them in the sewer system and so the horror of Resident Evil 2 is like the idea that like society has failed us and it has <laughs> but, caused like but, the worst possible thing to happen.
0: But uh, aim, amoral pharmaceutical companies would never buy out the government. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, what are <were> you saying? <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, yeah, so <laughs>
1: you know, and I, I haven't played resident evil 3 and i haven't beaten code veronica so i can't say like every resident evil has this kind of uh narrative horror as well as mechanical horror but like you know look at resident evil 4 what's that about it's about a
0: beaten up spaniards
1: it's, it's it, nope it's about religious <laughs> extremists damaging america by kidnapping the president's daughter and it really in retrospect has kind of a post 9-11 vibe yeah to holy it.
0: cow hang on
1: like they're not wearing turbans but like i don't know if that was intentional that like that's kind of the flavor that that game has yeah wow but um in retrospect i'm like oh wow huh (laughs) like it's about like religious extremists the religious extremists trying to infiltrate the u.s and you play as a u.s government agent to stomp them out but also plot twist at the end they once lived normal peaceful lives and you're kind of a monster (laughs) In the credits of Resident Evil Four uh, it shows a bunch of artwork of the villagers that you've bit spent the last twenty hours shooting and murdering violently living peaceful lives and it really kind of puts things into perspective in an uncomfortable way uh-huh. Wow, I'm reading too deep into Resident Evil 4 moving on um
0: I mean I think that if the if there's if there's a tagline for our show that's it's reading
1: too deep into things yeah. <laughs> But yeah, anyway, uh, so I've been beating around the bush long enough. Essentially, what I want to get at is that we can look at... If I were to make a horror movie about Resident Evil, I would take that social commentary approach. I, I would make a movie about maybe you as an umbrella researcher and the fucked up things you need to do to keep the secrets within the... You know, let's assume it's a mansion because in America, the games are called Resident Evil. So... You know, maybe that is creating these weird, you know, creating these weird traps and booby traps, uh, secret doors uh, to confuse and disorient your employees. (laughs) I would, you know, like maybe show some of the horrific things that you have to do uh, when experimenting on test subjects. You can you can make it a (laughs) you can make it an evil version of the office. (laughs) And, you know, meanwhile, during all of this, like the main character could be kind of losing the sense of self because not only are they disorienting their employees but they themselves are on a pyramid scheme in a cult of profit in the cult of you you know i'm trying to say like you are you are stuck in this cult of a company trying to maximize profits
0: yeah i would be into that i would i honestly i almost want to see that as like a netflix style like mini series (laughs) i could see that give me like an eight episode season of this with like every episode the curtain gets pulled back a little bit more yeah you see that being really cool
1: like you're you're either an entry level impl- like umbrella intern <laughs> slowly peeling back the conspiracy or you could when i say you obviously i'm talking about the protagonist yeah. or the audience surrogate or you could uh take the point of view of someone who like just recently got an umbrella promotion and they're like, oh hey, so we're doing this thing with uh the T virus, and you're like, Oh, the T virus, what's that? And then the plot kind of slowly reveals like, oh shit, I'm in too deep. <laughs> <Whoopsies>. But like
0: <laughs> Oops, all terrorists. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I like this a lot. Let me can I hit you with a weird take? Okay. Give me a Resident Evil audio drama. <laughs> shit,
1: we could do that, fam. <laughs>
0: I mean, let's not get ahead of ourselves. We're not that good. Um,
1: well, I mean, we could work on Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know yeah. what?
0: No, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Um, there are some very, very good horror podcasts out there. We saw one at the live show that we were at. There was a, a group oh, here in Chicago called Death Scribe. Uh, they they're associated, so with, associated with the White Claw Theater Company. Uh, and they okay, do, yeah, we're not that good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they do, like... Every year they do a horror audio, like a horror radio play showcase, Uh, and they did a live show featuring some, like, the only time I've ever seen live Foley done, like, as a part of the performance, and it was rad as hell. But there's that, there's also some really great horror, like, horror, or at the very least, like, suspense and thriller-based podcasts, like, uh, Limetown's a big one that they recently Hmm. got a season two, so they've been kind of notable recently what was the one that the night veil vale people put out alice isn't dead um yeah that's what it was like audio drama lends itself well to suspense because there's your a, mind makes it scary yeah there's an old adage uh among people who make horror that like the audience will always scare itself more than you can scare them and so removing the factor of what they can see and having it all be through audio storytelling and audio cues Makes things a lot more tense because you, as m- the majority of the world is sighted, like you, that is your main way of consuming like information about the world around you. So taking that away in an audio drama adds another layer of suspense to that. And given all of the cool work that the Resident Evil games already do with sound cues and blind corners and things like that, I think it would be fascinating to see like an audio, like a a true horror audio serial based in the Resident Evil world. I don't know what that would be. I think you could possibly do it as like the logs of the, like, you know, the radio comm chatter between the people exploring this mansion, like the police that you play as in the games. It could be, you know, the lab notes of the people working for Umbrella Corporation. Like there are, or you could just get it, go uh, completely away oh, from dude, the idea sorry. of doing it as like a diegetic thing that exists and just be like, we're going to do it as an audio, as like a radio play. Uh, but I think that mm-hmm. could be a very cool thing. What were you gonna say? Sorry, no. I
1: just I heard you talk about like the journals, and I'm like, oh, that would be such a cool thing because like, you know, that's another thing we forgot to mention is that like a lot of the plot in Resident Evil is not conveyed through cutscene. It is conveyed through journal entries yep. and letters that you find and collect. Uh, was Resident and Evil
0: one one of the first games that like really took that approach to narrative?
1: That, the first that I can think of. It's um, definitely.
0: I mean, it's got to be one of the first because it was one of the first like really exploratory three D games. Yeah,
1: because I'm thinking like maybe Mist did that, but I'm not sure when Mist came out. Um, and I, you know, I there's a whole wealth of adventure games out there that
0: I do not know enough about. Yeah, I don't know. That's that's an interesting thing, and that's become so ubiquitous in like exactly expo- so... exploration based games is the this idea of like finding journal entries or audio logs or things to listen to or to read about the place that you're exploring. Oh, man. Hang on. We're we're going way off the deep end here, but we're probably (laughs) nearing, you know, end-of-episode territory. Yeah.
1: I don't want to hang here too long. Uh, I said my piece.
0: Yeah, Mm -hmm. let me throw this out there, and then we can wrap up. Resident Evil, the epistolary novel. Oh, okay. For those of you who don't know... Epistolary novels are a literary form where it's a novel, it's a story told through letters. So the entire story is like presented as correspondences between people. Famously, technically, Frankenstein is an epistolary novel. Kind of. It that it is the epistolary nature is much more of like a framing device for Frankenstein. But Frankenstein is, like, if you peel it all the way back, it is a ship's captain writing a letter to his family about this weird guy he met in, like, at the North Pole, and the story that guy told him, and that story is the story of Frankenstein. Dracula is also an epistolary novel, but there's another one that I—there's a book I stumbled upon in, like, the bargain bin a couple years ago called The Silent History— That is a, Mm -hmm. a, it's a novel about this idea that a generation of people were born without the capacity for language. Like, not just that they're mute or they're deaf or whatever, but, like, the neurological center of the brain that in most human beings lights up when they hear or read or whatever, in any way consume, like, language that has meaning. These people just don't have that. Mm -hmm. And so it's, like, the novel follows, like, this, like kind of insurmountable problem but it's all presented as like letters between people and interviews with scientists and like newspaper clippings and it's a really cool way of telling a story and just like if we're taking this idea of like so much of Resident Evil's story is presented to you through these logs and these journal entries like give me that give me the story of Resident Evil as like Pieced together by the conspiracy theorist, up like exploring the ruins of a Umbrella Corp lab and like piecing together the charred letters and like office memos and shit. Okay. Like, like I said, I'm going, I'm going yeah. weird. Yeah, no, I, I, dig it, I dig it. But like, man, someone better at writing than me, make this happen. I, I'll read your fanfic. <laughs> um,
1: Could you imagine like kind of doing it in like a creepy pasta format? Like, uh, do you remember Ben Drowned? Yes. Okay, good. Because, like, all right, so, oh, boy, I have to explain Ben Drowned to our listeners. Uh, Okay, so Ben Drowned is, in short, because I got to make this short, it's a long story. It's about, it is a guy posting on a message board about how he... He bought a used copy of The Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask from a garage sale, um, except it, didn't, it doesn't have, like, a label. And he plays the game, and the game, like, will have, like, weird glitches. Um, also, something important is that the first save file in the game has the name Ben in it. So he deletes the file, and then the game starts glitching out, and it starts going crazy, And it's, it's, I I don't remember the particulars, but essentially like the game is haunted and the game is trying to make itself psychologically distress the player. Um, and then it follows him. It doesn't follow him into the real world or anything crazy like that. But, uh, the person posting this on the board will upload clips of it and just really unsettling stuff happens. And I feel like you could take Resident Evil and like, be like, you know, like, another one of those creepypasta things about, like, the, uh, discarded Disney, uh, amusement park in oh, some yeah. location where, like, it's haunted because, of course it is, and the, like, all of the mascot costumes get up and walk around on their own or whatever. You could, you could very easily do a creepypasta about a pharmaceutical company where, uh, like, there are memos and notes from people about all the weird messed up shit that's going on there. And, like, you know, you can, because... People don't really b- buy creepy pastas. Like, you can just be like, yeah, this is a Resident Evil story, but please check your brain at the door. <laughs> but yeah, no, I think that would be really cool.
0: If we're willing to get weird and experimental, there's a lot of cool things that, like, the general sense of suspense and, se- like, way of building the world that Resident Evil has that you could do very cool things with. And all would feel in the spirit of Resident Evil. Arguably much more than some films that bear the name um, <laughs> but i feel like that probably does it for us for this week unless you have anything yeah. else you want to throw out there no i think i think we're good rad this is fun i i like our writer's room chats this one was a little bit less i think we were we were more comfortable with the idea this time than we were
1: yeah <laughs> when well, we well i mean i, th- I think the the problem the first time was we were like all right. How the fuck do we do a mo- like make a movie or a story out of Metroid? Because Metroid is something that is so particular to yeah. being a video game.
0: <laughs> yeah, I still think like, we 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 had some fun with that one. Oh um,
1: no, that that one was a blast. I think like this one, we felt less compelled to try to justify our decisions and just said these are our decisions yeah. let's roll
0: with them. I like it. Thank y'all for listening. I hope you liked listening to us ramble about horror concepts and the Resident <laughs> the Evil zombies series. Zombies and Toilet Paper. Zombies and Toilet Paper. There's our episode title. Um.
1: <laughs> <laughs> if you think that a future Resident Evil game should have a puzzle where you need to replace the roll of toilet paper, please message us at Super best Friend
0: Cast. <laughs> Thank, thank you for listening to backstage gaming i didn't mean to do that <laughs> that was accidental
1: that was an accidental send up to a, a podcast that i love well there that you is go no longer anything it's no more well i meant to say bsg pod
0: <laughs> we hope you enjoyed this while dylan's dying let me just say thank you for listening we really enjoyed having you here if oh, you God. like what we're doing please check us out at our website that is bsgpod.com there you can find our episodes you can find bios about me and dylan you can find a contact form if you want to shoot us anything that you are thinking about and we would really just appreciate you if you like what we're doing taking the time to find us on itunes on stitcher on spotify on the google play store leave us some itunes reviews that'll really help us move up in the metrics and like you know garner some more attention from people that aren't already our friends. Every review and every rating means a ton to us. We also really enjoy hearing from you on social media. Dylan, tell us... uh, (laughs) (laughs) Tell us about Um, that.
1: Yeah, we do have social media. Uh, You can check us out on Facebook. You can check us out on Twitter. Our handle is at BSG underscore cast. We have a YouTube, and if you like any of the stuff we talk about, or if you want to tell me that I'm full of shit, or cuss me out for mentioning the super best friends, you can... (laughs) Get my attention by using the hashtag, hashtag #BSGPod. Yep. <laughs> if, if you like the artwork that we use on our site, that was provided to us by our friend Brennan French, you can check him out on his Squarespace. Uh, BrennanFrench.squarespace.com. That is B-R-E-N-N-E-N hyphen French.squarespace.com. He also has an Instagram. Instagram slash Brennan French Arts. That is B-R-E. N-N-E-N-F-R-E-N-C-H-A-R-T-S.
0: I still say it's the world's biggest regret that he doesn't ha- didn't get the Instagram handle farts. <laughs> Maybe I'll buy BFARTS.com and just get that for him. Good. Anyway. It just,
1: it's, it's just a copy account. I
0: love it. Thank you, as always, to our friend BioQuery for the use of our theme song, Dot Sound Radio Volume 1, Instrumentality. It's super cool. He's got a new EP out called Post-Human Angst that is just fucking rad. And you can find all of his music at his SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash bioquery. That's soundcloud.com slash b-i-o-q-u-e-r-y. Plug time. Listen to the current season of, or the current arc of The Unexplored Places, an actual play podcast that Dylan is appearing in. Listen to... I'm actually
1: not sure if we're still on that arc. We should double check that. Well... I was on an arc of The Unexplored Places. And it was
0: very good. Also listen to Unwell, a Midwestern Gothic mystery... It is a very fun, spooky uh, Midwest podcast made by another alum of of Kenyan College, the school that Dylan and I went to, and I am in the final episode of the first season, which should be launching in like three weeks, so get caught up. It's also just like really good, and I found out today in an email that the uh, people who are fans of Unwell include the sound designer from Jurassic Park. (laughs) Oh, so that's, that's awesome. kind of rad I've been kind of <laughs> geeked out about that all day also get ready, I don't know when this is going to happen but I'm currently in recording for another audio drama podcast called The God's Head Incidental, you can find them on Twitter, I think it's at Godshead Incidental, or a God's Head cast, something like that Awesome. no idea when that's going to launch, we're still very much in production on that, but be hyped for that it's going to be super cool, and I think that's all the plugs we have we don't have a live show to plug anymore because that nope. already happened
1: yep so they can hear it if they want
0: yeah it's really fun it's like a quick breezy 16 minute episode and i think it's like one of the most fun things i've gotten to do in like a year so uh thank y'all for listening one more time and as always we will talk wait hang on this doesn't make any sense
1: (laughs) hey chris do you think we're in a cosmic horror story because our sanity sure is slipping
0: i love you uh (laughs) and i love you you, listeners Come back and let us love you more next week when we're back (laughs) with more Backstage Gaming. Goodbye.
1: Goodbye now.
0: Oh my gosh. (laughs)